podcast world. What's up? Chad Belding back at you. Another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. We're so excited about the ratings and reviews y'all are leaving us. Keep them coming. We're going to keep the guests coming, the diversity in our topics and our themes. We are not, we're going to keep mixing it up, and that's exactly what we're going to do today. We have a very special episode today, in my opinion, because it's it touches everything that is going on in society with the outdoor lifestyle, the outdoor mentality, conservation, the provider mentality, hunters' rights, shooters' rights, a lot of different things going on in a lot of different areas of our country, other countries. This organization is at the forefront of all of that, and when you get down in the weeds about what Safari Club International is all about their story, their roots, their heritage, and mostly their culture. It's very humbling to know that they have the team, the employees, the volunteers that are fighting for hunters' rights behind the scenes every day, that we could wake up when we get in the turkey woods and take it for granted what's truly going on to ensure this lifestyle for so many generations to come. And today, we are joined by two of the finest members of Safari Club International out of their home office, working out of... I think actually their homes right now during the quarantine. So it's even more special to have them here. Ben Cassidy, Chip Honeycutt. Awesome guys. Thank you for being here. Yeah. Thanks for having us. Awesome to be here with you. Chip, where are you from? You got a little bit of a Southern draw. Yeah. Yeah. It depends on the company I'm in. I'll add a little extra twang to it, (laughs) but I, I was raised in North Carolina in a textile family. Um, but I've, I've kind of lived in different spots across the country, but my roots are in Tar Heel country. Tar Heel country. So are you a huge college basketball fan with, is it Dean Smith down there still? I know Michael Jordan's out of there. Several strong. Is Ben Wallace a, a Carolina guy? <laughs> no, he's not. <laughs> Where the, I, I don't, I, the only, t- the only reason I can think that I got Wallace is that I was texting my buddy that r- works at Oakley. Eyewear, drew Wallace this morning and I'm just wondering how I mixed them up, but there's a basketball player named Ben Wallace, right? Yeah. Was, can you dunk Ben? Legendary Piston. Uh, Pistons. Yeah, that's what it was. Yeah. World yeah. champion. Hell of a defender. Yeah. Uh, so can you I'm looking at you right now, Ben. Can you dunk? Um it depends <laughs> how high the hoop is, right? <laughs> <laughs> or a donut and coffee, dude. That's what I can sure. dunk. I like donuts dunk and coffee. Donut. Heck yeah. <laughs> so what hat are you wearing, Ben? You're or where what part of the country are you joining us from? Is that a Washington Redskins hat? Are you up yeah. in DC? Right now I am in the suburbs of Washington, DC in uh in Chevy Chase, Maryland. Um, but I'm a diehard Redskins fan. Um, Die hard Redskins fan. Yeah, yeah, we still uh, we still exist. I mean, if, I'm if not. We, if we, I'm if not. We're I'm able not, to survive. Yeah, if you're able to survive, they're they're uh, talking right now. I, I as of last week, I'd heard that that the commissioner had no, you know, he wasn't planning on shutting down the season. But then I heard today that they might be um, prolonging it or, or maybe suspending the beginning of the NFL season or training camps or something like that. Did you guys hear anything? I was, I yeah, I was going to say Fossey um, was, did a video this morning saying that sports will go on, but it would probably be in empty stadiums for a while. Wow. Yeah. I heard maybe abbreviated seasons. They're going to have the virtual draft next Thursday. So – 
that'll be an interesting show. Basically Robert Goodell from his basement, you know, kind of cool, kind of cool, but different They uh, different ba- baseball. I heard maybe 4th of July for an opening day, which would really be cool. If you think about independence and 4th of July and the, what in America's pastime, but that might be kind of neat, but I, I, it sounds like I'm talking to maybe one more of a basketball fan, more of one more of a football fan. I'm a baseball guy. Um, love is it that too. Fair? You're, you love baseball too. Are you yeah, national? Are you home, nationals guys? World Series champs. Yeah, the World Series champs. And uh, we may remain the World Series champs for the rest of time. We'll (laughs) see. It's good to go out on top. (laughs) I I can tell you, Chad, that this year, um, the day after the World Series, and for about two weeks thereafter, SCI headquarters in D.C. was flying a Nationals flag, thanks to Ben. (laughs) (laughs) So let's let's figure this out real quick is – I think it's easy for somebody to assume when they see the SCI logo and the Safari Club name. And if you're a hunter in Nevada that likes to chase a coyote or a mule deer, my first thought was, I don't know if that organization is for me. I don't know if I'll ever go to Africa. I don't know if I'm ever going to see a an elephant or a dangerous five or some planes game or a kudu. I don't know if I'm ever going to have that opportunity. So I don't know if it's worth my time, my money, my finances to ever volunteer or support Safari Club. Is that a fair assumption that some people could have that you guys have heard that with the word Safari in there, that it could mean something that wouldn't pertain to per se, a or, you know, a duck hunter or a turkey hunter in the continental United States? Yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've certainly heard that before. And I think that, you know, our motto of that first for hunters, I think, you know, really clears it up. Now, I've I've had the benefit of having worked, um, been a volunteer for SCI and worked with SCI in official capacity, you know, for a long time now um, in D.C., just being in politics and campaigns. Um, used to work over at NRA, uh, where I'd always team up with the folks over at SCI on all the important, you know, issues facing hunters. So we got to always, you know, see how they were, you know, in the weeds, um, in the fight for everything that, that was protecting, you know, what we love about hunting, you know. Obviously, there, there, there are fights that are going on, you know, overseas, whether it's, you know, Africa or, or, or Europe. Um, but there's all the fights, you know, that are happening domestically, too, where, you know, SCI then and today, you know, are de- directly involved. Um, again, it, it's, it's really like, you know, an organization is all about its members. And we're a member-driven organization, you know, about 200 chapters out there. Um, so we've got our chapters throughout the country. And it's those chapters that are, you know, on the ground and giving back to conservation projects, you know, in their backyards. I think that like they really do symbolize, you know, SCI and where our where, where our energies go. Yeah, I'd add to that, Chad, that, that we're very well aware of that really that misconception. Uh, when people hear the word safari club, they immediately think safari means something far away that I'll, I'll, I'll never do. Um, I'm just sitting here in Nevada chasing coyotes all weekend. Um, and and it's really our own fault because we have not communicated everything that we do. However, the, the, the reason for that is all our dollars are spent um, in our legislative efforts. It's not spent in communications. You know, and you know, I was brought in here last summer to help um, um, get that word out. Ben was brought in on really on the same day um, to help guide those legislative efforts. They're doing a fantastic job. 
And when folks get into SEI and they, they want, want to learn more about what we do, they find that they are actually uh, quite aligned with what we're doing. And it's very appealing. Um, the things that are unique about SCI is that we're not species specific. You know, no matter what, where, or how you hunt, um, we're defending your freedom to do it. Uh, we, you know, we're one of the only organizations that has a DC office, and that gives us tremendous access um, to legislators. And of course, we've got chapters around the country, um, and those chapters, when they when they raise their money. Uh, they're not giving it all to national for us to dole out. They're keeping 70% of that money that they can put to work right there in their local area. So there's so many things that is really appealing. And we invite people to get in and learn more about SCI, get beyond the, the Safari Club name and learn about what SCI is all about. What is the origins of the name, Chip? What? Why would it be named Safari Club? Why was it? And is that... Does that even matter? Is that still relevant in today's missions and the mission statements by Safari Club International? It, next year, we're going to be celebrating our 50th year. So that, that's tremendous for an organization of this type. We've, we've been as influential as we are for that long. Um, but when you get down to it, Safari is really nothing more than an adventure outdoors. Um, the, the folks who, um, you know, C.J. McElroy, who founded the organization uh, 50 years ago, that was the name that um, they came up with. You know, they were world travelers, world world hunters, international hunters. Today, that meaning has evolved. Uh, we truly do embrace the idea that um, hunting is more than a kill. It's an experience, and that's what safari is all about. Well said. So, it was it was founded in America, correct? That's correct. California, yeah. California, and how many members currently are we talking about with SCI worldwide? Fifty thousand, with majority being in North America, United States. Really strong presence in Canada. Um, really strong presence in Europe. Fifty thousand worldwide members, and. Do you, is there different levels of membership in Safari Club? If a guy wants to be a part of it and he wants to get his toes wet, get his feet wet, a woman wants to get her feet wet with Safari Club, can she buy a yearly membership to, to, in, in, you know, to go down that rabbit hole and learn it? And then maybe after the first year, she either renews that or says, I'm ready to step my game up? Yeah, so there's um, one-year, three-year life memberships. Um, there's local chapters that, that you can join as well. You know, we've got the, the, the 200 chapters spread out throughout all 50 states and overseas. Um, that's another good way to get, you know, acclimated and, and really see what we're all about. And when I started, the, when I started, you know, is there, is there an assumption out there? I mentioned people wake up and we go hunting. You know, it's our right, right? That's what we do. We've, we're in America. We can go hunt. We can go buy a hunting license online. We can go to a store and get a gun. We can get ammo and we can literally go ask for permission on private property. We can go hunt WMAs or public property, Montana, Wyoming, Nevada. I mean, there's so much BLM Bureau of land management land out in those areas that you can access. And as long as it's not a wilderness, you know, validated area to where you can't bring machinery or anything in mechanics into that area, it, you own it. It's public property. You can go hunt in this country, how we feel, but is there, 
there's so much work going on um, and so many behind the scenes efforts on the other side to try to prevent that right, to stop that right, to inhibit that right, to slow that right down, right? There's a lot of things going on that the average everyday duck hunter, I would assume, and you know what assuming does to some people or most people, but I would say, I would bet money that a lot of guys in my, in my seat, what I do in America every day as a hunter an everyday hunter, you know, season hunter, we don't understand what's really going on. I mean, there's a lot going on that we'd have no idea about. Is that fair to say, Ben? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely. And I mean, even, you know, with the current situation with like, you know, CV-19 has kind of thrown things off kilter, you know, it's this strange abnormal state that we're in. I think that there's still a ton that's going on, you know, that is good for conservation that also threatens conservation. I mean, like just talking about all that amazing access that we see out there, this public lands that are ours, you know, last week, the Department of the Interior, they put out a proposed rule to open up 2.3 million new acres uh, for hunting and fishing opportunities. So those are opportunities, you know, to hunt species or certain parcels of land that were closed previously. Um, it's a proposed rule. So they give 60 days for public comments to come in. If you want to see how engaged, you know, the other side is with trying to shut it down and being opposed to it. Just look at the comments that are coming in from, from antis on that. I mean, these are all on refuges. It's from Fish and Wildlife Service. The original mission and intent of Fish and Wildlife has hunting as a management tool on it. Um, so all that they're doing right now, you know, in the administration is is really lifting, you know, what that original intent is. But yeah, 2.3 million acres and like ways that we're staying engaged is we're putting together with our legal team really thorough comments that are supportive of, of, of these proposed changes so that we see them actually instituted in time for the next season. Um, then we're taking it to our members and, you know, breaking down those comments to be state specific, refuge specific, so we can share them with, with our members, get them educated on it as well, and then show them, you know, and guide them in the way to, to put in their comments so that that hunter's voice and that tradition you know, what we, some of us take for granted, um, and that ability that we have in the United States to go hunting, um, is protected. Say that one line that you said in there and all that, uh, I know Chip wants to talk on that, but you said a line during that little speech, right? That little spiel right there, Ben, about the refuges and management and, and one of the management, um, techniques is hunting. Is that, say that line that you said again, does that make sense of what I just asked? Yeah. Um, so like the original intent and in when, you know, Fish and Wildlife Service was founded and what their mission is, you know, with like BLM, multiple use is their mandate. Mandate for, for Fish and Wildlife is, you know, protecting and managing, you know, th th those, th those, th th those spaces. But one of those defined management tools is hunting. So now these public areas that have been like just rest areas or sanctuaries or, you know, just places where, you know, a duck or a deer or an antelope or whatever can be behind closed gates pretty much to where hunters can't get in there. So that tool of that management tool of hunting has not been being utilized. So the administration right now is saying that this will be healthy for these lands to go in there and manage the herds, manage the wildlife populations through the management tool of hunting. Is that is that kind of in a nutshell what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, what they were doing was going in and taking inventory. For the first time, they put someone in charge of being a hunt and fish, uh, hunting and fishing chief. And their job was going over to the refuges and saying, what's open? Okay. What's closed? Okay. Why is it closed? Why are we not using hunting as a tool? And, and if there weren't good responses to why, you know, hunting wasn't being prioritized as it's meant to be, 
then they institute these proposed changes. And they've already done 1.4 million new acres that have opened up over the last, you know, three years. So this 2.3 is going to really put it over the top. But it's it's just a, a continuance of let's let's support what the original mission of the Fish and Wildlife Service was. Let's use that tool that's the central tool in our conservation toolbox of hunters managing uh, wildlife populations. Were you going to touch on that, Chip? I, I didn't know if I cut you off. No. Uh -uh. Okay, so when, when this stuff's going on behind the scenes, we can be rest assured that it is. It's it's happening daily. You, What is SCI ultimately doing, or what are they specifically doing? Is it lobbyists? Is it is it guys that are up on Capitol Hill that are, are, are getting meetings with assemblymen and senators? Um, is what? Give me an idea of what a duck hunter in the Butte Sink of California is if if he spends his money to become a member, is it is it stuff going on like that? And I'm 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 specifically talking about the political part of it, Chip. Is that safe to say that that's going on on a daily basis, and that's part of the rights that are getting fought for by S SCI? It's absolutely going on on a daily basis. And in addition to our office in D.C., we we have folks in touch on the state level that are in touch daily. We've got uh, tools that are enabling uh, members and hunters to re receive alerts that direct on, on issues that directly affect them and enable them to correspond directly with their representatives. Um, you know, I'll let Ben get into more detail on, on what happens on a day-to-day -day basis. Yeah, I mean, we're really um, fortunate to have such an awesome team. Um, like Chip said, we have an office in DC. It's a unique hunter's embassy that's right in the shadows of the Capitol. So it gives us the best access possible or jumping off spot to be able to go engage elected officials in person. You know, in that office, it's it's me, it's Chip. Uh, we've also got, you know, uh, uh, wildlife biologists, you know, uh, policy experts. Uh, we've got state um, capitals manager. Uh, we've got a federal manager. Um, we've got phenomenal uh, legal crew. Um, so we have, you know, a really great team of experts that really come together to have a, a broad strategy and how we're able to help promote and defend hunting. Um, and a day to day, I mean, it's always different. You know, before all of this COVID-19, there's a lot more in-person meetings, whether it's with, you know, other allies in the community, you know, your Rocky Mountain Elk Foundation, your NRA, uh, Ducks Unlimited, or if it was with your, you know, allies, you know, in the House or the Senate. Um, elected officials that that are pro hunting, or meeting with folks that are agnostic and don't understand why it matters, and explaining to them why it matters. Um, you know, now that we're uh, behind the wall, we're all in exile from our past lives. You know, in quarantine, uh, we've been doing a lot virtually. You know, staying in touch with you know elected officials and their staffs over the phone using Zoom. I think we've gotten a lot better at Zoom. We even have our fancy backdrops now. Uh, we've been you know having series of uh, virtual uh, happy hours is our virtual world tour where we're getting out there and, um, you know, putting together our advocacy updates, letting people know how we're staying in the fight, you know, telling them how they can be engaged and stay in the fight as well. Uh, letting them know what the other side's up to. Uh, we'll also, you know, down the road, bringing in some of our, you know, friends that are elected officials to, to hear from them and, and what they're seeing on the ground. Where, 
does the membership money go? Is there is there different buckets that it's split up into? I assume that again. I'm assuming again, but where does a guy that that signs on the dotted line and sends that check? Where does he think or she think or where does she know that that money is going to be utilized for? But I, I understand say, that there's a lot of different initiatives, but give me a rundown of where that money goes. I'd say so. Um, our CEO, Laird Hanberlin, he started a, about a year ago. You know, he came on, um, you know, he's been involved with SCI as a volunteer capacity, you know, for 40 some years. Very successful businessman, um, loves SCI. So, you know, took a break from his business life to come into SCI and help give it, you know, some strong direction. Um, and the first thing that he really did was he came in and he gave us a clear direction by, you know, putting in, you know, four pillars and that's advocacy, conservation, membership, and convention. So those four buckets there, I would say is where, you know, when somebody joins, um, they're getting extreme value out of. Advocacy is what we've been talking about on Capitol Hill and then these the other offices around the country fighting for the rights. Then you then you came in and you said conservation. This is where you team up with allies um, across the country to go in and ensure the habitat, the whether what whatever species it is. Is it better breeding grounds? Is it better habitat? Is it better food sources, nutritional values kind of things to make sure that animals are thriving? Is it working with NWTF to make sure that a turkey population that's transferred in a trade with Texas potentially for we send sheep there and they send turkeys here? Do we work in conservation efforts to make sure that first and foremost that we have compassion for the animals and their species in the different species and their habitat? We do, uh, we do team up with other organizations on issues, but when we, regard, when we speak about the, the pillar of conservation, these are projects that are, we're conducting ourselves through our sister organization, SCI Foundation. And Foundation, since 2000, has put $60 million directly into on-the-ground projects um, from species study, studies, um, uh, working with states on migration corridors, um, uh, anti-poaching efforts uh, in Africa, those, those kind of projects. And so these are, these are things that um, SCI member dollars are directly affecting and enabling uh, us to support. Ben, do you have anything to add on conservation? Yeah, I just say, you know, conservation, like it takes a village, right? Um, we, we do partner up a great deal um, say with the foundation, with our chapters, um, you know, they identify what those priorities are in their backyard. Nobody knows their, their backyard better than the person whose backyard it is. So, I mean, we'll team up, you know, so if it's with, you know, our chapters that are really strong in Michigan and, you know, deer yards in the upper peninsula are a big deal. We'll team up with them there to help out, you know, in Calgary, if it, if it, in Alberta, if it has to do with, you know, elk, we'll, we'll team up with them there, but like, you know, um, Chip had mentioned, you know, uh, migration corridors, um, projects that are that are already underway that can, that can use additional assistance. And behind Chip, you'll see the two logos. The top is SCI, and underneath it is our foundation. Um, that's you know our five hundred one c three that's that's focused on the conservation aspect. Yeah, that's a good example. So we, we had a California chapter where uh, the the wild sheep out there, it was, they're having drought conditions and the stock tanks were empty. And so this chapter um, raised money to hire helicopters 
to come in and refill multiple stock tanks so these sheep would be around. The guzzlers. Yeah. We have a lot of that going on in Nevada. You know, we're a high desert state. So have you guys worked with Nevada Bighorns Unlimited, all the MBU chapter of Nevada? Have, I haven't that personally name yet. They do, a lot yet. Of, they do a lot of guzzler work. They're a strong, strong, you know, statewide agency. But um, membership, you have the pillar of membership and you have renewal memberships. You have 50,000 worldwide members. You have um, new money coming in through new membership drives. I would think that that this is an important aspect of an American hunter. And I'm going back to my beginning statement of a duck hunter or a turkey hunter. Do we take it? Do we tend to take our hunting rights and shooting rights, probably just like any other right in this country for granted? Because there, you guys knowing what's going on worldwide through your, through your foundation and through Safari club, this doesn't happen everywhere. Does it? our rights that we have to hunt. I mean, and I know that that probably sounds a little bit tacky the way I'm saying it, but, or maybe it's safe to say that everybody understands that it's not, but do we really have a grasp as an American duck hunter or turkey hunter or whitetail deer hunter that you can't just wake up and go hunting in a lot of countries around the world? Yeah. I think, you know, like when I talk to some folks overseas, I mean, they're just like in the U S it's, it's incredibly unique that it's just the full spectrum of society um, that's participating in hunting. You know, in, in some places, when, when you go over to like Europe, it'll be, you know, the most impoverished that hunt for sustenance. And then, the, you know, the most elite that do it, you know, on private reserves. Uh, but just the model that we have in the United States and really how it's, you know, been fully embraced, you know, with the North American model of conservation, uh, with the hunter being central um, to to the way we, 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 we practice conservation and the way that that's, you know, been ex exported overseas. And you know, a lot of the work that we do internationally is based off of, you know, that North American model that, I mean, it's, it's uh, a little over a hundred years old now. And, and it's, it's the prime model for, for, for the planet on, on, on how to do conservation. What about you, Chip? Is it is it safe to say that most American hunters, you've been in this industry a long time, do we take our rights and freedoms to go out and, and call a turkey or catch a fish? Do we take that for granted a bunch, you think? You know, I, I think we do, and I do think it's um, um, due to the North American model. It, it's just such a tremendous success story. But as a hunter progresses um, down their hunting career where they start going beyond um, the county line, beyond the state line, start considering going overseas. Then they get exposed to what these, these other countries are um, dealing with, in some cases having to put up with. And they start to uh, gain a, quite a, uh, a different appreciation for what they have here at home. And that's when they begin to get involved in organizations like SCI. And so uh, and that's another reason where we're trying to encourage folks who are a little bit earlier on in their, um, their, their uh, hunting um, lifestyle to take a look at us and get involved a little bit sooner um, and where we can take our model and help support some of these countries who are trying to conserve their wildlife and need a support of an organization with the resources like SCI has. I love the fact that you, I've talked about this several times in speaking engagements and different podcasts, Chip and Ben, as far as 
you start your hunting career off and you know, a lot of the things that I talk about are waterfowl related. Cause that's what we do mostly, but we've, we've done the chucker, the partridge, the upland game, the mule deer, the big game, the fishing. We we've been a part of all of that through our, our hunting careers personally. And a lot of it is the maturity levels and processes that you go through throughout that career of, you know, a lot of it's like, man, the biggest buck. And then did you, what did it score? How, what did it score? Nobody ever really goes in their twenties. Like, well, what was the experience like? And what was camp life like? You know, what was the menu on the food that night? Um, <clears throat> duck hunting, piles make smiles, right? You got to have a limit, right? Well, what's a limit? Really, like, what are you doing with a limit? Are you really, like Ben mentioned, are you impoverished and you need to live off the land that much to where you need to kill a limit every day to feed your immediate family or your or your extended family? So you go through all of these different phases. Like, right now at 45 years old, I don't really... I don't really even take a picture of a limit very much ever again. You know, if it's, if it's special and it meant something more than just seeing the duck die, then don't get me wrong. I love the kill and I love the harvest and I love everything that goes into that part of it. But there's so much more that goes into this lifestyle and the experience of the hunt. And that's what SCI stands for. That's what they are showing is that this is a culture that, that the sooner you realize how important that culture is, and that doesn't mean that it's opposed to that maturity process or that level that you're out of the piles, the bigger buck, you got to kill 150 chucker a year because your buddies are always going to ask you, how many did you kill last year, right? Um, I think that the culture of SCI is showing that a member and you go to a kid that's, let's say 20 years old, he's two years out of high school. He might be a junior in college. He's a, he's, he's got his own truck and he's hunting like crazy. He's got that passion. Get involved now. Give, if you can't get involved with your time and volunteer to run a banquet or go run a conservation program or go work on an easement or a guzzler, whatever it is, write a check. Put your money in there. Get that decal. Get that weekly or that that newsletter that comes however many times a year. Get involved in one or two events a year that you can go attend and just start to engulf that culture, right? That is the most important thing when it comes to a membership is that we have to understand that the sooner you said, just like you said, Chip, the sooner you get involved in that part of your hunting career and maturity level, the better off you're going to be for so many more years to come. Look, it, there is nothing better than getting behind a cause with buddies. I mean, we get down to it, you know, SCI is a social organization. It's a bunch of like-minded folks who like to get together and enjoy um, hunting in the outdoors. Um, it, it's it's an interesting juxtaposition to me that where you see folks on social media will post their kill shot, but when you ask them, how did your hunt go? They talk about the experience. They don't talk much about the kill. They talk about where they went, who they saw, what they did, what they ate, the stories around the campfire. And imagine 50,000 people getting together and doing that and then pulling their resources to make it a better experience. And that's what happens at chapters. That was happening at conventions. It happens all year long with SCI. Yeah, it's, it's exactly. And so as far as the age group, how how is would you say that right now to a group of college hunters is is there college chapters of SCI is there campus affiliations of SCI going on with like-minded individuals that are in that stage of pretty much just starting their you know the, their ability to make money and make these decisions of I am going to travel to hunt I am going to be an outfitter I am going to be a weekend warrior. I am going to be a member of SCI. Is, is there a voice out there that is getting that age group? Um, you know, the message. 
You know, we don't currently have a, a collegiate chapter program. What we have found is that as college guys are, are latching on to their local SCI chapters and finding what they're looking for with those. Now, we do have some places that, that express an interest in it, and we're, we're exploring um, uh, that kind of program. But right now, these our local chapters are so strong, and they're such pleasant groups to be around that um, they're attracting the college-age folks. Okay, I'll let you think on this one, Chip. I'm going to ask Ben if he has off of the top of his head. Can you give me a, a success story that you've been thinking about lately, Ben, that's been on the top of your mind that you've witnessed lately? Is there something that's right there on the tip of your tongue that you're just that you're so excited about or um, happy, you know, satisfied with of what you've seen results with lately? I think um, one of the biggest wins that we've seen this year was Louisiana, the black bear. Uh, they shut down Louisiana black bear hunting in Louisiana. Uh, and SCI submitted comments. We intervened uh, and said that they didn't have standing to shut it down. And in Jan or February, we prevailed. Um, and the, the judge cited SCI's arguments as being the reason why they threw it out, uh, which would reopen uh, bear hunting in Louisiana. So that was, you know, uh, Regina Lennox lives in Louisiana. Jeremy Clare, um, our, our, our in-house uh, lawyers uh, that really put that together and were the brains behind it. Um, and that came right from SCI. I mean, so proud of, of what they did there. Um, I mean, just to, you know, talk more about our legal team, you know, I think it was uh, late last year, there was another case where, you know, anti-hunting group um, they sued the government to, to get records uh, from Interior on uh, the identities of folks that had gone, gotten permits uh, for overseas hunting. Um, and our legal team quickly worked, you know, to alert our membership, and tell them what was going on, and give guidance on how to protect their personal information. And some of that information ended up being shared for hunters, but all the members from SCI that followed that direction had their identities protected. Um, so just, you know, Th those wins right there. Um, another one that, you know, was awesome. It's a little foreign to folks out West, but uh, Pennsylvania has had, you know, these draconian blue book laws in place, uh, banning uh, Sunday hunting. Um, and we worked, you know, with the coalition to uh, help uh, pass legislation in, in Pennsylvania to open up Sunday hunting. Um, so that was just like a real, when you know that if you want to talk about increasing access add a day to your calendar that's some really awesome access um so, so those are some of the, the big pieces you know and right now with what's going on with uh cv19 it's just tracking what what's going on in congress you know that big stimulus bill with two trillion dollars and checks going to be mailed out all over the place uh we were just you know closely monitoring that to see where the relief would be for you know some of our chat Chapters that are that are their tax status is a C3, or you know some of our exhibitors that are small businesses, um, how they could get relief. So you know took time to really monitor that, see where the the um, opportunity was to get financial relief, and then you know sent out missives and communications to to our members and exhibitors to make sure that they knew how to 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 get access there. 
Can you give me an example of the comments? You said that SCI's comments or what the judge said helped prevail the black bear hunting in Louisiana. What would an example of a comment be that you guys would go in? And what is a comment when you're talking about a court of law? Yeah, so it's intervention. So so basically they're shutting it down on the basis of saying that Louisiana black bear is a you know unique population of black bear and that it is um it's it's endangered um and that hunting will hurt hurt its its population. Um so we use actual science to go in and show what the population numbers are, you know, that they are strong and then science to back, you know, that a uh, a, a regulated season um, will not be to the detriment of the species, but will actually enhance the species. Um, and with that standing, you know, the judge said, the reason why we shut it down doesn't have merit. Um, the science isn't there. The science provided by SCI shows that the season should be open. Have you, have you had enough time to think, Chip? Sure. Do you have, do you have one? You know, back in the fall, we, uh, we launched this little tool on your phone and I, I wasn't too sure that it was going to take off because who needs more text messages, but it's called the Hunter Advocacy Action Center and it has exploded. We have tens of thousands of people registered on this. And if, if you um, type in the words SCI or the letters SCI and text them to 73075, you can then register for this service. So when, if there is a federal or state issue that it will affect you, you get an alert right on your phone with um, explicit instructions on what you can do to affect it. Um, everything from a pre-written email that goes to your state legislator or your federal representative, a tweet, because that's where they all hang out is on Twitter. They're not on Instagram that much. Twitter is where they are. And then um, there's a phone script if you want to pick up a phone and call them. And this this tool has I've been really impressed with it. And you know Ben mentioned the Pennsylvania Sunday hunting. That tool played a huge role in that. And we continue to use it. We're using it and trying to battle the uh, Colorado uh, wolf uh, forest reintroduction issue. And so I've been uh, real pleased. Um, with that, with that tool. And I encourage everybody to get signed up for it. We're not going to blast you with texts, but when, when, when we send you something, you know, um, it's something that, uh, you need to jump on and it's real easy to do something. How is it generated through area code? Yeah. So, so we have, you know, our, our, our members opt in and sign up for it, um, to receive the direct messages, but like just to build off of what Chip was saying, it's like, when I'm advocating or, you know, someone on the team is going in and meeting with the member of Congress. So I go and I meet with, you know, Senator or leader Mitch McConnell, you know, he's not really there to meet with Ben Cassidy. He's there to meet with SCI and the membership, you know, that I'm representing, you know, I'm walking in on, on their shoulders. So really that whole HAAC that Chip's mentioning, and I've put it up as my background, feed the info um, that that's really a way of, you know, just harnessing that power that we have in our membership to really be that loud voice for hunters. Um, and like Chip said, yeah, I mean, it just opened up, you know, the water main, you know, the Sunday hunting issue in Pennsylvania with, with engagement um, really, you know, got folks really fired up to help get the right people in place over at interior, whether it's, you know, Aurelia skip with as the director of fish and wildlife service, or Kate McGregor in place as the deputy secretary at interior. 
um, you know, really engaged folks and got them fired up there. And right now we've got a, you know, a great campaign going. Or We sent out from SCI uh, a letter to each of the governors in the country, so 50 letters out there, asking them to obviously take the necessary precautions with the current situation, but to not forget to support hunting through it and make, you know, the right concessions for hunting um, while we're going through, you know, the social distancing and quarantine. Um, so we sent out our 50 letters from our president. Then we also had many campaigns in each state where we got our membership really engaged in sending their own letter to their governors um, that's helping bolster what we'd sent through. Um, and it's, it's been a lot of fun to see, you know, we, we, we track, you know, the state's engagement, you know, with Pennsylvania having the, the, the most letters sent to their governor. And then after that, Michigan and then Texas. And then, you know, we asked Texas why, you know, they're not doing better than Pennsylvania, you know, South Dakota, why are you behind North Dakota? You end up seeing more and more folks engaging through the tool, which has been really cool to see. And we've seen a lot of, you know, governors really step up and um, they haven't, they've added it to, you know, their, their speeches where they said, you know, hunting for, for our residents at least is, is going to continue. Um, just continue to practice social distancing, but this is a good way to, to get out and, and, and practice social distancing. When I'm looking on my phone right now on some, some things that have gone down out this way. You're in Washington, D.C., Chip's from Carolina, out in California. <clears throat> what is your guys' opinion first? What is your opinion on the, the drastic changes that have taken place that have affected a person's ability to buy ammo when he or she wants to? Um, some of the things that are being said about, you know, the, what happened with bobcats just now, what are being, uh, you know, presented in, right now with the bears. Um, I even heard something last week, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong. If you haven't heard this, just shut me up. But something in regards to African game coming in through state lines in California and trying to prevent that um, and hunters doing so with that. It, 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 did I touch on anything there? Is there work being done behind the scenes, Ben, right now in the state of California with SCI? Yeah, big time. Appreciate you bringing it up. Um, the last thing you mentioned is the Iconic Species Act, and that would be a full-on importation ban. So any trophies coming in from internationally to California. And I mean, obviously, we know the power in California, just in population and sheer size. I mean, that's 10% of our membership are, are, are Californians. Unfortunately, you know, it's a state where there's just a number of folks and voices, including the voice of hunters, that can be really disenfranchised. I mean, there's call it ballot box biology, where they just toss out any of the science and just lead with emotion. You see that play into Iconic Species Act or Bobcat or, or Grizz, like you mentioned. Um, but what we're really focusing on, in on with the Iconic Species Act, and it should have had its hearing, you know, this week, but that was bumped because of the situation. Um, but, you know, We've been really engaging with uh, African countries, uh, range countries, people that actually manage those populations there that really rely on the dollars that come in through hunting overseas, uh, those local economies. You know, a lot of these concessions or, or uh, outfitters, they're in parts of the countries that would otherwise have no tourism dollars whatsoever. You know, these aren't your, your, your national park destinations, but they're tough places to go to. And it's really those hunting opportunities that bring in those dollars. Uh, so we got those voices from over there telling that story. And they're the ones that actually manage that, you know, that land and, and their populations telling that story to Governor Newsom, to the legislation in California, um, and just put the onus on them to 
to not listen to the the voices that actually matter in this conversation. That's the local people that are being affected. And say the name of the bill one more time. It's the Iconic Species Act. Yes, sir. And that is, in layman's terms, is do you cannot bring safari wild game from the countries in Africa over to the America to the continental United States, crossing state lines of California. Well, yeah, I mean, it would be a, a complete ban of iconic species and trophies. So it would be directly, you know, into, you know, um, San Francisco or LA airport or over state lines, intra or inner, um, tr- uh, state travel w- would be banned. And you said, you said, ballot box biology which is so key in 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 your stance our stance your mission our voice of education if you're going to go to that ballot box and pull that lever to to vote anti or the iconic species act whatever the 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 bill is at least be educated right that's all we're asking we're not we're not trying to say that you have to think like us because that's ignorance but at least be educated and not emotional because you said it yourself, Ben, is that the emotions need to be taken out of it. The education has to be there. And in the effect that's going to take place with that emotion, that emotional vote. And I think it makes so much sense to get that just that out there of alone of what's going to be affected when that goes through. Why are you not taking into consideration the, the revenue that the state of California generates and potentially could generate? It is a hotbed of duck hunting. It is a hotbed of predator hunting, mule deer hunting, antelope hunting, salmon fishing, striper fishing. I could keep going and going and going turkey hunting. I could, I, 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 I just, that state is unbelievable. I could go to Los Angeles tomorrow and spend 10 days. Well, not this time of year, probably, but I could do 10 full days and have unbelievable predator hunting. And people think of LA as like LA, I-5 traffic, bumper to bumper. They don't think of wildlife. They don't think of the Salton Sea. They don't think of the Bay Area as the Susan Marsh and, you know, Palo Alto. Alto area for the duck hunters and the deer hunters, they don't get that part of it. So the education process is so important that I'm looking at going, why can't you guys just listen just to at least have validity in what you're going to vote for and take the emotion out of it? That what When you said that, it sparked me because it irritates me that I get these messages from guys that say, I'm never hunting in the state of California again. I go, what happened? I I went into a retailer today in Chico, California, and it took me two hours and 10 minutes to get a box of 30-06 shells. So just that right there is what you would refer to as my friend Scott Mueller with California Waterfowl is a death by a thousand cuts. And each one of those cuts adds up. And then my I'm like getting fired up right now and sweaty because I just get so irritated that that actually is is being said to me. I'm never going to hunt in the state of California again. That's crazy to me. Yeah, I mean we're fighting for access, right? And access isn't just your physical land that you're trying to get onto to, to go hunt. Access is being able to hunt specific species, to bring the trophy back. Access is being able to have the right ammunition to go hunting. I mean, there's a lot of different ways that, that that's the fight going on. But just going back to, to you know, education at, at the voting box, I mean, Chip's doing a fantastic job of it, but it's like, 10% of, of the population is all in with you. Hunting, yep, get it, makes perfect sense. 10% is like you're evil, you're a horrible human being, it's the worst thing ever. And then there's an 80% in the middle where it's just like, give me the facts, tell me why you're right and they're wrong. And you know, at the end of the day, when it's science-based, which it all is, we're gonna be right. 
So there is 80% that we can get. And we, we do extensive polling. I mean, it shows, you know, when you have the right message and, and, and you explain it, people will be with you. But the onus is on us. Now, I'll tell you, Chad, we're, uh, we're dealing with the exact same thing regarding trophy band, but over in the UK. So during convention, we invited um, some folks to sit in and we did some brief videos. We, we, we produced 16 videos with Blood Origins where we're talking with um, country representatives and leaders and biologists and predator specialists, all from the affected African organizations. And all these videos, they're very quick to watch, but you get an unbelievable understanding of what is happening on the ground by the people who have to live with these animals. And, they, and you get an understanding about how vital hunting is to conserving those animals. And all those vid videos are available on our YouTube channel. I've been seeing a lot of them and uh, you can go through Instagram and access them that way as well. I think they're very well done. The story's great. The, uh, <laughs> the cause and the effect of what, what can be done with, with just, it's so, I guess what I'm trying to say with what Ben's numbers was chip is 80%. That's an opportunity. Yeah. That's an opportunity right there that even if you can't get to that 10% of people that just have their earmuffs on and they won't listen to you. Right. I get that part of it. That's you you can't change their mind, but 80%. With just the, the, the science, the research, the fact finding that SCI does on a daily basis, you got it whipped. You got the ability to go out there and get those 80% to go, oh, really? Oh, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, okay. Yeah. Like it, it, you really get, get that reaction a lot. When I start talking to people about, about just our diet, right? When they start to listen, I don't, I don't think I've had one day gone by in the last 30 days that I have not talked about living off the land with somebody and teaching them something. Last night, I went over seven blacktail steaks on a, a, a video chat on how to prepare them. I brought the meat frozen, dropped it off, didn't see the person at all, let them thaw it out, open it up. And then from there, I took them through a video tutorial with just how to, you know, the membranes and the fat and all of the things that I wanted them to remove, how to dry rub it, how to dry, all the things that went into it. And at the end of it, they're like, where did this meat come from? And I'm like, Northern California, who killed it? Yeah. I, so I went over it and they're like, I want to go. I want, I want to learn about this because after that night, and I'll show you the messages, they're like best tasting meat I've ever had. Lean, healthy. You know what I'm saying, Ben? It's like Ben yeah. just popped oh, up, but Chip and Ben, you know what I'm saying? It's like just that little tiny bit of my, that's nothing for me to do. I'll do that every day. Just that five minutes I spent on that, they, it showed them the culture and the passion and then they tasted the food and then they learned about it and boom, they're in. They're going to hunt. They're going to hunt. Sells itself. Yeah. Amen. I just yeah, think it might, it, it might be the most expensive per pound meat there is. Yeah. But that way we don't talk about that part of it. And all the joy of it is is getting out there and experiencing and knowing that you did this. Start the, the story. You know where, where you know where your your food came from. I I, I just I've talked about this before, and I'm, I want to I want to transition into convention chip and ban. I don't know of a cooler way to live life. I just don't. I don't think that somebody could come and paint a picture of a professional athlete because they're a hunter too, a professional artist or actor or musician because they're a hunter too. So the special, the, the feeling, the fuzzy feeling inside that you could educate people on is, Hey, go grow a garden and then mix those vegetables with some of this meat that you just went and you honed your skills to the point to where you were able 
to build your lifestyle or your income or your revenue base through your career to be able to afford to go to Africa and feed the villages over there. Or you can hunt over here and and bring the meat into your the sustainability factor of it of going full circle with farming being a, a well-versed hunter to lure the animal in a, a clean, ethical, harvestable shot, and then the butchering, and then the processing, and then the maintaining, and then the vacuum sealing, and then feeding off of it, feeding your family off of it for a year. Well, maybe not this time because we're going through a lot of it this year for the, because of COVID. But think about that. Is there a cool way? Can you go to a golf course and like go, man, I am so passionate about my short game day. I think you can maybe, but this yeah. right here, this right here, I'm like, Dude, this, there's no a better way to live. This is how we live. This is the organic, this is what we were put on earth to do is be a provider. And SCI is fighting for our ability to do this. If that right is even tarnished or taken and those death by a thousand cuts and those little victories that are happening in a state like California, I am not scared, but I often ask like, what would I do without it? I couldn't exist. None of us could. This world wouldn't be here if it wasn't for the hunter gatherer. And so I just, I just think that it's, it's the, the coolest way to live life, man. I just love the ability to talk to people like I did that person last night and then have him and his wife go, this, this is wild game. And I'm like, yeah, that's wild game. And it was taken care of the right way. It's just cool, man. It's just awesome. Man. Yeah, yeah, the passion comes through. We got to get you on the hill to talk to some members of Congress. I would, uh, I would in a heartbeat. I think that I think that it is so important to to not be bullheaded and not say you are an idiot because you're a vegetarian. I okay, I don't care that you are. I think it's awesome that you're a yep. vegetarian. I love the fact that you can make vegetables taste that good to only want to eat vegetables. I love it. I like to eat sushi. I like to have a cucumber once in a while with sushi, but I'm going to eat raw fish like it's going out of style. And I'm going to eat ducks and geese and buffalo and bison. And I mean, I've eaten, I've eaten cougar. I've eaten mountain lion. I've eaten a lot of, I'm not Steven Ranella. I'm not trying to compete with Steven Ranella and media. Those dudes are crazy when it comes to some of the stuff they eat. Ben, I'm losing you. Okay. There you're back. Um, But I honestly think that if you can show that passion of, what, what, what are we doing wrong as opposed to what we're doing right and, and show that you can make, take that wild game and that provider mentality. That's, that is, there's just not a better way to live in my opinion. And I think that you, if you get the right people in line of saying like, here's why we do it. Here's my daughter last night eating that deer. And she's like, dad, I thought we were having duck. And I'm like, well, we were, but I'm going to do this little tutorial. <laughs> and when I hear my nine-year-old go, I thought we were having duck because she loves eating duck so much. I'm like a mission accomplished. So when you start to think about a hunter and the compassion of a hunter and the heart of a hunter and the, in the, the, our ability to respect the resource and give back to those animals and then take it a step further and say, not only are we going to respect them and harvest them the right way, but we're going to put our money and our elbow grease and our sweat equity back into SCI initiatives and conservation initiatives and advocacy initiatives. And now what do you have? Now you have these hunters working for those animals. Of course, we're going to take a couple out of the ecosystem, but without those hunters, that ecosystem is going to disappear with disease and a bunch of bad habitat and bad breeding grounds it's amazing the shape that the rocky mountain elk is in the wild turkey the canada goose in the eastern flyway of america where y'all live on the chesapeake bay it's amazing the amount of ducks that are in our flyways right now we are literally living in the golden age of hunting you talk to john lamonico 89 years old he's hunted all over from afghanistan to pakistan everywhere he's killed it all he's a big sci member he owns he holds sci world records he says he says 
we're living in the golden age of hunting right now. He's 89. He's turning 90 this year. You know what he texts me, Ben and Chip? He says, Chad, on my 90th birthday, I want to duck hunt with you. I said, what? Really? <laughs> you just got back from Turkey hunting a tar or whatever. He goes, I want to be duck hunting with you on my 90th birthday. I was like, oh my gosh. Like, how awesome is that? That's totally so, awesome. So Very that vo- cool. that voice my daughter's first duck, canvasback bull, this last February, Youth Day, Nevada. 78-year-old Les Nesbitt. He's a Safari Club member. He's a Boone and Crockett Hall of Fame member. He is a duck hunter that he loves duck hunting, dog trainer, just a very successful man. He's 78. On this day in February, he's turning 79, Chip and Ben. My daughter's nine. She shoots her first canvasback bull, her first duck ever with a 410. 79 years old, the guy has, he killed a desert sheep last year at 11,900 feet, a stone sheep this year, or vice versa, whatever. And he's, he cried. My daughter's crying. I'm crying. Remy Warren's crying. We're like, what the heck is going on? This is hunting. That's what hunting does to you, man. It's that therapeutic that you can get that out of life from a 79-year-old on his birthday to a nine-year-old on her first first duck and we're all got tears in our eyes because of the emotional effect and therapy that it provides for our soul period and i just think that going back to the vegetarian is fine be a vegan but just always remember like my good friend remy warren says everything comes with a cost so you can tell me i'm a bad person because i eat meat but please understand that there was a lot of things that died to get those vegetables out of the ground first and foremost And if you're not a vegetarian, but you like to eat store-bought beef and chicken and pork, then let's just always remember that there's a process there that goes to ending those lives too. And that I would much rather be smoked with the 270 at a hundred yards and die fast than I would go through what a cow goes through to be killed. So there's a story and there's a cost for everything. That's a little bit of a rant. I apologize if I went on too long. And I got witness from the congregation. (laughs) Yeah. That's speaking my language. Uh, we were meant to have a, a, a food truck come up on the hill in a like Capitol Hill in a couple of weeks. We have to, to rain check it because of all the social distancing. We're going to do a food truck with wild game in it and, you know, oh, just kind of educate folks, you know, just have, you know, 300, you know, venison burgers in place and then hand them out to, to Hill staff. And then also just kind of talk about, you know, that connection and that field of pork and, and, uh, you know, give uh, some direction in places that they can go to get their hunter safety done, you know, get a mentor to go out for their first hunt and really experience it, you know, from from field to fork. Because it is just like, it's incredible. It's the way, the, the ability to, to tell our story or tell any story really through food and something we can all relate to and connect to. And I think more than ever, you know, people want to, you know, be more in touch with where, where their sources are coming from. And like you said, I mean, today, you know, there's such a disconnect. A lot of people just think everything comes pre, pre shrunk wrap at the nah. grocery store. Um, it's crazy. Some people are, some people know that, that there's more to it and they want to be a part of it. So that's that 80%. I love that. And if we can, if we can get to 5% of that a year and say, Hey, here's what we're doing or 10% a year and just show them like, man, the ability for a hunter during this time right now in history uh, to go out to his, to his or her freezer and grab a speckle belly like I did this morning. I took two speckle bellies out that are fully plucked 
with the wings on because yes. I abide by the law and I transport them with wings on because you have to. If a game warden pulls you over crossing state lines or back to your boat, I try to understand all the laws and try to stay within my legal parameters of being a waterfowl hunter, which is very difficult. And that's one of the things, uh, in my opinion, of why the numbers of waterfowl hunters in our country are lower than turkey hunters or predator hunters or deer hunters. Access and, and cost, and there's a lot that goes into it, but there's a lot of laws in duck hunting. But my point was is that I looked in my freezer and I, and I called my brother Clint and I go, it's five in the morning and he's getting up. He's a physical therapist. And I said, I envisioned this recipe last night when I was cooking this deer, I started thinking about all these things that I wanted to do to this spec. And I painted this picture in my head. And then I told my brother, I go, the best part of that picture in my head was remembering the hunt that all these specs came from and <clears throat> who I was with and the young girl that was mouth calling that is amazing and the memories. And I just started go getting all giddy. I went on, I looked at the pictures of it. We had Chad Mendez from the UFC with us. And I was just like, I get to eat this. And my brother's like, well, because he loves spec. We lo all love to eat speckle belly geese out of the flooded rice of California. And he just got, it just started our day off the right way. So now I'm like, I, I know what my execution is going to be on these specs on the Traeger tonight. Don't say it, Chip. I know you're going to say a shameless plug right there. He loves my shameless plugs, man. But I, I already envisioned it. Like, you know how important visualization is, is the key to success in a lot of things in life from baseball to bowling to, to business, entrepreneurial spirit of America. Visualization is everything. So I am envisioning this crispy skin rendered down all these things I'm going to do to this spec and it will literally blow people's mind and when they take a bite of that spec that is this recipe is from my good friend Mike Parker part of it that's the that's the influence the inspiration of what I'm going to do tonight people could not eat this and not want to go hunt speckle belly geese I promise you that they just couldn't they'd be like I'm in I want to go and then when they get underneath them and see the excitement and see a dog retrieve a hundred of them a day because you can now harvest 10 specks a day in the state of California per man they would be all in and that's and that's how I started off my day is by going into my deep freeze and saying this is what I'm doing because I visualized it last night and I just think that that's I just I, I'm going back to before we go into convention is there's not a cooler way to live. So if you can get that cool part of it, of waking up and feeling like a provider, you're a hunter. Go hunt. Get into it. Find a mentor, which is important. That's what convention's important. Membership. Mentorship programs through membership and through convention and through meeting people and networking are everything. And it's so key to the next generation that we, another thing that I take for granted is that when I come out of my mom's womb in 1974, I was in the mountains. I was on a backpack chasing mule deer. I, I have stories of 13 months old of, of being on mule deer hunts with my dad at 13 months old. So my point is, Ben and Chip, is that it was in my blood. I was going to be a hunter. I was mentored to do it. Now, I could have done something or experienced something that might have changed that, but I never did. And neither did my brother Clint or my brother Clay. And Clay's son, Chase, harvested his first coyote at 87 yards with a 22-250 at six years old, sitting between the legs of Uncle Alex Crosby. He did that, and he killed his first redhead last year. And, and Clint's sons, Chance and Caden, are, are both get deer tags every year and harvest them. Chance did a, killed a 339-inch bull elk in eastern Nevada this year. I'm not bragging rah-rah. I'm just saying that we were mentored to do it. But we take that for granted because so many of our brothers and sisters across this country don't have that. And I think that that's a huge part of me right now working with guys like you or Rock Merlo in California is introducing new people to this lifestyle through food, through passion, through gardening, through organic living, through being a provider, and then showing them that you don't have to be scared of this gun or this bow or this or this crossbow or anything 
come and enjoy it. And once they pull the trigger one time, I've never had one person go, I don't want to go shooting again. They're all like, when are we going again? Every time. Every time. That's exactly right. Well, now I've got meetings between now and about eight o'clock at night. And you've been talking about food all day. Let's, uh, let's talk about <laughs> what something are you gonna else. Eat? <laughs> <laughs> it's um, kind of a bummer to like, you know, smoke these specs on a Traeger plug right there, <laughs> um, but not be able to share them with your buds right now. Well, right? I, yeah. I, I guess I, I think, I honestly think that um, the law is, is that you can't ship migratory waterfowl birds but after it's cooked, I believe you can. I'm going to look into that, and I'm going to slide y'all a, a gift package to your addresses um, of some really nicely sliced spec. I'm telling you guys, there's a place in in in, in Gridley, California. Sorry, I'll end it like this, Chip. It's called the Gridley. It's it's called the Gridley Bar, and you walk in. It's just an old school cowboy bar, but yeah. they specialize in plucking of ducks and geese. And you've never seen a, a, a dude, this operation, this lady runs there. She's like, I'm like, can we film this and document it? She's like, hell no. Don't even think about it. I don't want cameras. I got my ideas down. You're going to want to put a light here and angle me yeah. here. And she goes, I want nothing to do with Hollywood. She calls me Hollywood. And so, Hollywood. and she goes, just come back here in two hours. And I go back there and I'm just like, whoa, whoa. Like, look at this, man. Look at what I get to take home. And I'm driving through the Sierra mountains with a big grin on my face and coolers, gator coolers. There you go, Chip. Full of all of these, all of these, all of these uh, speckle belly geese and mallard ducks from the rice country. I just love it. But the convention part of it is held in our hometown this year again. After you guys went to Vegas for a minute, you guys are going to be here one more year, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. And then you're going to no, Nashville. No, we're done. You're done we're in Reno. Three of you. So we'll be in Vegas uh, February third through the sixth next year at uh, the convention center in twenty two. We'll be in Las Vegas again, but at Mandalay Bay. And then for the three years after that, it will all be in Nashville, Tennessee. And then for the four years following that, it's going to alternate between New Orleans and Indianapolis. And the, the idea is to uh, bring the event to the people. You know, Reno was, a, a, was wonderful to us for so many years, but it's a hard place to get to. And when you have the majority of the hunters in the country um, within an eight hour drive of say Nashville, um, we, we just thought, well, let's just take the event to them and, and make, make it available to some of these folks who know about us, but uh, really want to experience convention. I think it's all, I think it's first genius because Vegas is Vegas and shot shows there every January. It's a destination. It's not a, a, a city to where you would, have a, a, a large local draw, I would assume, but you might because of the money in Vegas and there might be the lifestyle down there. But Nashville, the heart, the, the, just the hotbed of outdoors, that whole I-40 corridor, you got Kentucky, you got Tennessee, you got Arkansas and Louisiana and the Mississippi Delta. Then you got Alabama and everything over there and then where you're from. And then just above it, you got the Indianas and the Ohio, all of that. It's the, it's the heart of hunting, the Midwest, the South, the Southeast, and on top of that, you have towns like Nashville, which is my favorite city in America. So why wouldn't you go to have the barbecue, the meals, the Southern cooking, the country music, the camaraderie, the great people? Um, it just makes sense. And now you're saying, quote unquote, bringing the, the convention to the people. This is a great way to mix convention in with membership. Obviously, that's what is going to be a big key in this, because when you go to the NWTF convention at Opry Mills in, in Nashville, or I've been to NRA in Nashville, which it was there this month, but it was going to, it got canceled, obviously. This week, yeah. This week, it was going to be the 17th. Um, 
It's awesome. There's just a different feel. When you're walking around NWTF and you experience that culture and energy, you'd be, I'm all in. When I'm there and it's like a, a family, Nashville and that part of the country for hunters, every event they have the ability to go to is a family reunion for them. Yeah, when NRA had their show there and they shut Broadway down with Hank Jr. playing, that was something Damn. else. And then when I went into a bar to get a beer while he's playing in the street and there's a Hank Jr. cover artist playing with everyone watching him, I'm like, you know, the real guys out there, right? Yeah. They're like, well, this guy's really good, though. This guy's, like, no, he's it's, out there. <laughs> the real, Bo Cephas is actually, like, you yeah. mean, like, here, here? Like, yeah, like, right here, like, right out that door. He's on stage with NRA. That town yeah. is that town is crazy, man. You go into Tootsie's, and all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Kid rocks up on stage, and you're like, is this really happening? And then you go down the street to Whiskey Bent, and another dude's down there, and all of a sudden, you go to Losers, and Toby Keith pops up and gets up on stage. It's just there's just not a cooler place. And I know Vegas has its means, but man, I'm more of a I, that 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 suits me so much more being in Nashville. So I think there's going to be a lot of success for convention there and membership drive because of the uh, the influx of hunters in that area. I truly think that that's a smart move. I think I think when we get to Nashville. People are going to be exposed to SCI that just hadn't had the opportunity yet. I think they're going to be absolutely blown away. You're talking about having evening events at the Ryman Auditorium and Grand Ole Opry, and the show, the show itself is going to be outrageous. But I don't really don't want to overlook Vegas. I, mean, I know everybody's been there, um, but this, this SCI is really kind of a, a different kind of show. Um, you know, if you're looking for a hunt anywhere in the world, it could be your dream hunt. We have it, but we also have uh, your dream hunt that's right here in, in, in the U.S. Might be right around the corner. Your dream hunt might be an Illinois whitetail hunt. We've got spectacular outfitters that come in and offer these things. And our evening events uh, in Vegas are going to be at a brand new facility um, at the Caesars Complex that um, is going to open for the first time this summer. And those evening events are just off the hook. And I invite everybody to come check it out. And as I mentioned earlier, um, this, uh, the 2021 event is going to be the 50th anniversary of Safari Club. The 22 event is going to be the 50th anniversary of convention. So we've got two years of 50th celebrations coming up. It's going to be something to see. That is so awesome. So, Say that one more time, Chip. 2021 is 50 of SCI. 2022 is 50 of SCI convention. Correct. And the, the, um, the one in 21, the next one coming up is February 3rd through the 6th. That's a Wednesday to Saturday. At Las Vegas at the Sands Expo at the convention center. At the convention center. Convention Sorry. center. Is that and the we'll same have, as the Sands Expo? No. No. LBCC is the, the giant one back behind the, um, the old Hilton. The old Hilton. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, so it's not where, worse. it's not where shot show is. That's correct. Yeah. It's not over there. And then you go and then, mm-hmm. and then 2022 is Vegas again. Yeah. At Mandalay Bay. Mandalay Bay convention center. And then you're going three years Nashville and then you're mixing it between new Orleans and Indiana, Indianapolis. Right. Okay. Yep. Now, Very I, cool. New Orleans is going to be interesting. You don't, you don't hear big outdoor shows. Um, Shot show been that shot show was there one time many years ago. Yeah, so it's going to be it's it's going to be something. We're really stoked and um, kudos to again to new CEO Laird Hamblin for um, leading this charge and for the the executive committee and the board of SCI for embracing it and really taking the show quite frankly on the road, taking it to the so people. Awesome, it's way cool. 
And, you know, it'd be one thing to have like a little sub event, you know, like you have your chapters doing their events. That's cool. Um, but to actually go to the national convention and see the energy and the culture there is another thing. And for to be able to bring it to the people is special. So I'm excited it's, about it's that. You, know, you go to shot and you see um, these celebrities that are um, signing autographs in a booth. You know, they're they're paid to be there. You come to SCI, they're there shopping for hunts. A lot of them are there on their own nickel. And so there's a lot of that, you know, nice you know, celebrity sightings. There's uh, we have quite a few manufacturers who come out there and you think about it. These manufacturers just unveiled their brand new products at ATA and shot. And SCI is the first time that consumers can get their hands on them and see them. Cause that's a great reason to come. I'm excited about it. So the the preparation obviously has already started for 2021. The the national convention is one of many events. How many statewide events are there? How many statewide chapters are there? We'll end it by this. How can a guy in Indiana or a guy in Nevada get do do you go national right away or do you go locally? You sign up for SCI and then you buy a ticket to the local banquet like you would at a DU event or whatever. How does it work locally? So uh so you can join a local chapter, but um you can go to a local event. A lot of these chapters, they all do at least one giant fundraiser every year. They typically do something every month, but they've got one big home run hit fun fundraiser. And you can go there just as a guest with someone and just go to the event and, and get a taste of it. Um, but you're going to want to join that, um, that local chapter. You're want, going to want to get uh, a membership with SCI because we, you know, we'll send you magazines and newspapers. You got e-news, you get, um, all kinds of nice uh, uh, um, additional things that come with your, your membership. But you get involved with them locally, and you get a taste for that event. And then every, everybody in these chapters, they kind of say, hey, we'll, we'll see you in Vegas. We'll see you in Vegas. We're going to stay at such and such hotel. We're going to go to dinner here. We're going to go to the, the Beretta event. We're going to go to the Saturday night event. We'll see Charlie Daniels on Friday night, that sort of thing. And it, it becomes just a group that you uh, enjoy being around with. And, but the first step is joining your local chapter. Okay. Um, nationally to become a member of SCI, what's the fastest way to do it? What's the easiest way? Is it, are you guys on the app? Is it a website? What's the best way to join right now? Safariclub.org. Safariclub.org, right, Ben? Yes, sir. Safariclub.org. Any closing words, Ben, with the Redskins hat on the quarterback of today's podcast? Um, let me think. Doug Williams, Joe Theismann, uh, Ricky Williams out of the University of Texas was a running back for the Redskins. Was he after he won the Heisman? I don't know if he was. No, I, not I, Ricky. Ricky we had was Mark Rippon. Mark Rippon, there Mark you go. Rippin, okay. the Ripper out of Washington. <laughs> he, had to, he had to dig deep for that one, Chip. <laughs> He's a these, are glory, these are glory days we're talking about. <laughs> they got all the Panthers players now. You got the coach, yeah. you got the – Yeah, you know, the, the whole Carolina team's there. Well, man, I appreciate it, Chip. I appreciate it, Ben. Let's do another one. We'll get more specific yeah. on a couple of these initiatives. I'll text with you guys an email about um, some timing, and we'll just keep consistently messaging, getting the message out there of what SCI is doing. I think it's awesome. I can't wait for the convention in Vegas next year, and then 
two years in a row and then Nashville for three. So you got five years planned out. Then you got New Orleans. You got you have Indianapolis. You have the local events. You have the ability and the voice to go online right now on social media and see a lot of the things, a lot of the work, a lot of the background work that's going on by SCI on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C. for your state. Our hunting rights as Americans, it's not to be taken for granted. Remember, this is a privilege. We are not blessed or entitled. We are blessed and privileged. We are not entitled to hunt. We do have it in our Declaration of Independence, the right to bear arms through the Second Amendment, but there's nowhere in there that says we have the right to hunt, and it can be taken away. We have to fight for it daily, and that's what Safari Club International is doing. Chip, Ben, thank you very much. Any closing words at all? We appreciate you. Be sure to text SCI to 73075 and go to safariclub.org and find a chapter and join up. That's awesome. Yeah, just want to say, you know, thanks so much, Chad, for having us on and giving us a platform to talk about, you know, what we love. Um, it's our passion, and we're excited to bring on as many other, you know, folks that are passionate about it and be a voice for them in the halls of Congress. Well, let's get it done. I'm excited to be a part of it. This has been another episode of This Life Ain't For Everybody podcast. You guys have uh, – get me those addresses. I'll get some specs coming as long as I make sure that it's legal. Please continue to support the partners and sponsors that support all of our properties at the foul life at this life ain't for everybody jargon game calls banded avery outdoors and greenhead gear thank you all so much we're humbled by the growth of our brands and the support that you all give us thank you for listening to this edition of this life ain't for everybody please join safari club international and make sure that you understand what their initiatives are they're fighting for hunters they are first for hunters that is a registered trademark of sci first for hunters that says it all right there i'm chad belding tom hit that button this is Leith Lofton. What you gonna do when the money's all gone? We're all equal, that's what I think. I don't believe heaven has a bank. Make good use of your time on earth and don't make a dollar bill all this world. Cause I'd rather be poor living off in a hole than rich as hell without a soul. Life on earth won't last.